1: Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie
2: do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We are the Beatles.
0: Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show.
2: And with that came the expectation. And with that came the pressure.
0: New episodes of American Prodigy drop
2: Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts.
1: Feel like Kobe
2: in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, and I am recording this after the Timberwolves' second preseason game against the Memphis Grizzlies. It was another pretty uneven loss. Again, what I'm doing in these post-games pods after every game is just kind of running through my five biggest observations from that game that just took place. So we will get to those in a second here, and I also have some post game audio from Rondae Hollis Jefferson and Ryan Saunders that I will plug in. But my first observation I want to get to is really just kind of um, a thought, and it's it's something honestly I was I was thinking about um, before the game, just kind of working through during the day, and it and it's a question, it, and the question is this: as, as we've sat here watching John Morant, it's 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 been on my mind, is. You know, who, who is better, Ja Morant or Carl Anthony Towns? And I'll preface that all by, this all by saying that my answer is ultimately Cat. I feel like I have to say that at the beginning. So many of you don't just angrily turn off this pod. But, I mean, we do got to acknowledge that, the, damn, like Ja Morant has looked awesome in these first two games against the Wolves, and it's, it's pretty hard to not project some serious growth from him off of what was already really an impressive uh, rookie season last year. But we also have to preface this conversation, though, by by setting parameters. What what are we actually talking about when we say who is better between John Morant and Carl Anthony Towns? So this is how I approached it. You know those ESPN top 100 rankings that have been you know circling this past week. I I know they're they're dumb. They're they're pretty dumb. That it's not my point to break that all down. There's bad, There was bad rankings there. D'Angelo Russell. I know you were all up in arms over that. You know. 69th ranked was probably not ac- well hopefully not accurate for him whatever the one the one thing I do like about those rankings though is how they approach the ranking the question they ask is who will be better this season that's what those rankings are the top 100 players this season projecting that and and I like I like approaching it from that angle because you know just future rankings are they're they're murky the whole, who would you rather have on your team for the future if you were redrafting today? That question, it can be fun, but it's tricky because you got to bake in you know who's coming into their prime, who's going to be coming out of their prime the next few years. And with cotton tracks and everything, it's just complicated. I like this question because it's just more cut and dry. Who will be better this season? And for ESPN's rankings, they rank John ja Morant 31st and Carl Anthony Towns 23rd. So that's their answer right there, Cat. Pretty clearly, Cat, they think, will have a better – year for me when i was digging into some of cat and jaws numbers and thinking about this I, I texted an assistant gm on another team and his answer was very different from the conclusion that espn came to though i mean i'm gonna read it here you you did i did leave some interpretation of the rules but i'm just gonna read the text i said who do you think has a better season between the two between john ja and cat and who would you and other execs prefer to build a team around the executive responded, I think Cat will definitely have a better season, but most people would prefer Jaw going forward. The defense isn't near as much of an issue at point guard. Plus, a team has more years with Jaw." I responded, how much of the preferring Jaw is about his contract? If they were both on Cat's contract, would that be the case? His response was, I'd say most would prefer Jaw to Cat regardless of contract. Jaw fits the mold of a star player on a winning team, Though he said he wouldn't go that far as believing in that. But it's it's his belief that most would pr- prefer Ja Morant over Carl Anthony Tons. That's really the case, right, for Ja? Is, is you can maybe more easily picture him as the star on a winning team someday. As a rookie, he was the star on an average team. Cat, on the other hand, is, has only played on one winning team in five years. And he wasn't even really the star of that team, the Jimmy Butler year. And if we're being honest, you know, in these next couple of years, there isn't really exactly a clear-cut path to Towns being the best guy and even a playoff team these next few years. But context matters here. Teammates matter. And the statistical argument between John and Cat, it isn't even really close. Last year, Morant averaged 18.7 assists, four boards, and a steal per game while shooting 51% on twos and 33.5% on threes. Cat blows that out of the water. points per game, 4.5 assists, 11 boards, a block, and a steal. He also shot 59% from two and over 41% from three on eight three-point attempts per game. The real stat argument, though, is that, but for Cat, is that Morant was, was only really middling in terms of any of those advanced efficiency metrics. Morant was just slightly positive in terms of overall real plus minus. It was 150th in the league overall. Now I know those these aren't perfect, but I'm just trying to paint the whole picture. For Morant, RPM actually saw him as a slight negative on offense, probably due to the his you know heavy volume of turnovers and those not great shooting numbers. And he only came in slightly positive in terms of defensive real plus minus. Towns, on the other hand, was staggeringly productive in terms of offensive efficiency. He was fifth in the league in overall. Offensive real plus minus and one of the four people ahead of him were Steph Curry who played in in like four games cat was was one of the best offensive players in the league last season and he was first amongst centers in RPM offensive RPM that said he ranked 514th in the NBA in defensive real plus minus that was 72nd amongst centers which is literally last. But in terms of net impact, Kat's offensive impact greatly outweighs his defensive shortcomings, as, at least as far as the metrics see it. He was 44th overall in overall real plus minus, accounting for offense and defense, despite being one of the worst defenders in the league, according to the metric. So at the end of the, the day, using the initial premise I set up of who will have a better season this season, it's pretty clearly Kat. You know, and that's even if he just kind of plateaus off of what last year was. Now, for the whole who would you rather have moving forward conversation, it is kind of hard to disagree with what the exec said. There's just more offensive impact we had when you play point guard. And if Jaw is only just a mediocre defender, which I think will probably be the case for his career, it is true that those weaknesses just won't be as glaring at his position. You know, as we're going to learn this year with D'Angelo Russell, it's just easier to hide a point guard defensively than it is your center. For Cat to become a true superstar, he has to be a a solid defender at his position. Jock can probably become a superstar without really improving a ton on that end. I don't know. I mean, this will be an interesting thing to, I guess, maybe track over the course of the year. Maybe come back to when the Wolves play the Grizzlies after, you know, a month or so of regular season games. I don't know. It's just something that was on my mind coming into the game tonight after just really watching... What was a dominant performance from John in the first game, but enough of that. Let's get to some some observations from Monday night's game, and we'll start with a positive, maybe the only positive of the night, and and that was uh, that was Rondae Hollis Jefferson. Hollis Jefferson was absolutely a spark, making I mean he made you think hard about how Saunders might need to wedge him into the rotation. I don't want to totally overact react to a preseason game, but I think that's what's on a lot of people's minds after that game. Hollis Jefferson scored 17 points in the second half on six of six shooting. It was overall a really bad night for the Wolves, but RHJ was the bright spot. He brought energy that the team sorely needed on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, I think it's only natural to get people thinking about how how he can crack the, the rotation. It was just one preseason, preseason game, but I'll play along. Because there was there was a case for him to be in the mix, you know, even before that. So let's say we want him in the rotation. We do have to realize that that probably means someone has to come out. Like it was in the first game, Saunders rolled with a 10-man rotation in the first half today. Same starters, D'Lo, Beasley, Nkogi, Lehman, and Cat. And then the bench five that rotated in were Rubio, Edwards, Culver, Wancho, and Ed Davis. <laughs> now, I you know some people are just going to say, you know, Wancho stinks and that RHA should just play over him. Well, that's... That's, I'm just, that's not going to happen. It also shouldn't happen. I mean, the problem with playing Hollis Jefferson is that he can't shoot. He's made 21% of his three, of over 200 career threes. And trust me, I've watched him take a lot of threes in his individual workouts before these games. And he looks like a 20% three-point shooter. And in this system, if he can't shoot, that's just a problem because the offensive scheme will crumble if he's out there with, a, a, with him being a non-shooter and another non-shooter playing him next to a Kogi or Culver would be just be really tough offensively. And then playing him next to Ed Davis. If you want to put him at the four and Davis at the five, that's just a non-starter. At least one of the two bigs in this system has to be able to shoot or it just doesn't work. So I think we're kind of getting towards the the question of, can you go to an 11 man rotation? That would make some sense. You could play Hollis Jefferson next to cat and three other decent shooting options that would work. But Again, do we got to take somebody out? Is Saunders really going to go with an 11-man rotation? I don't think so. So I think if you're trying to put Hollis Jefferson in, it would have to be in place of Ed Davis's minutes at the five. And in the second half tonight, Hollis Jefferson was out there at center. He was playing next to Wancho. There was no other big out there. That's probably the role if he's going to play this year, or at least at the beginning of the year. No matter how you slice it, it's just going... I think with Hollis Jefferson, it's really important that he's out there with the right personnel. And after the game, I asked Rondé about that. And it started with that, and it also kind of led to a fun story about how he and Cat grew up together, which is just a small world, man. Here's what Rondé had to say. Hey, Rondé. Uh, I know you're just kind of fighting, fighting for minutes and, and just a, a role on this team, but is there is there a... Uh Player, or a couple players on this team that um, you're particularly excited to play with, or feel that maybe you fit your game fits best with on this roster. Um, man,
1: I feel like my game fits with everybody. You know, everybody loves to play with someone, who, someone who works hard, someone who competes, um, someone who brings the spark. So, um, I feel like my game fits with everybody. But um, I'm definitely, definitely excited. I know, I know, Cat since we were like eight years old. So. Being able to, you know, play with Cat um, and then back with D-Lo. Um, definitely looking forward to that. And then, you know, defensive guys, you know, like Josh, uh, J.C., um, those guys and then shooters, uh, Juancho, uh Jake. Uh, just playing with everybody, man, especially the, our rookie. Uh, <clears throat> looking forward to playing with everybody at the end of the day because um, we have a special group.
2: How did you uh, meet Cat? When you were eight, or what? Is, where does that relationship uh, come from?
1: Comes from you know him playing in Jersey. You know, I'm from Pennsylvania, probably like 20 minutes away. Um, and a lot of the, the AU teams, we kind of combined or whatever. And like we we were at a lot of camps and things like that, uh, just competing and having fun and being kids at the end of the day. I um, can tell you a couple stories, but uh, it's always <laughs> always a funny. Just us two in that dynamic. He was just a bunch of two oversized, goofy kids uh, who loved to play basketball.
2: So, fun little nugget there. Um, in another part of his media, you know, before he told that story, Rondé w- was asked about just having a defensive impact. And he just gave it – was, it was cool. He was just such a Toronto answer. And it was, it was to the point – it was just like, duh, you got to defend. To him, it was just so obvious that you have to do your job defensively. And I I just do think that means more coming from a guy who played for the the Raptors. I think guys who have played there, particularly fringe rotation guys, they just understand two things in Toronto that you, one, you win with defense. And two, if you're a fringe NBA player, defense is the way to stay in the league. Hollis Jefferson, he just came from a group of scrappers like that in Toronto. And if he can just convince a couple guys to bring that mentality in Minnesota, it's going to be... Such a win for this team. We just gotta kind of determine if he, if he can only bring that by playing, or if he can do that on the bench. That's I don't know. That's what's kind of going to be determined here in the next few weeks from Hollis Jefferson. We'll do a quick ad break, and then I'll get back with three more observations um, from Monday Night. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Yeah. All right, my third observation is that the offensive synergy just was not there, and it hasn't been there really at all these first two games. It got me thinking about the team right away after the trade deadline. And I'm, that wasn't a good team. They lost a bunch of games, but that group had offensive synergy. There, there was a, a pace and a flow and a plan to what they were doing. It, they were playing fast, a five-out offense predicated on decisive ball movement along the perimeter, and, and, and they were intentional about getting up threes. And just none of that has happened at all in these first two games. And I do really think that these are the initial signs of having the the problem of having numerous players at the top of your roster who really just don't exactly know whose turn it is. The difference between this group and that post-deadline group is that Cat is in the mix. And of course he's going to be in the mix, and he should be in the mix. But the reality is that just cannibalizes stuff for for guys like Beasley and D'Lo and Edwards to an extent because those guys they're just players who are most comfortable in an offense that is running through them. And I think that's why we're seeing stagnation in the offense when those guys are out there. And we're seeing shots going up later in the clock and they're often from mid-range when someone is just like, "Okay, it's time to go." Overall the it, the offense it's just been funky. Tomorrow on the show Jack Borman um is going to come come on and we're going to we're going to each give our estimates of of where we think this team is going to rank in the NBA in terms of offense and defense this season, and and I think for me, I'm, I'm again, I'm really not trying to get too carried away with two preseason games, and I, I did coming into it, I, I did feel really confident that this was going to be a top ten offense. I mean, Cat has pretty much always been a part of top ten offenses. I think it's fair to to assume that, and I, I think I still am confident in that based on that precedent. But I don't think that that's going to be the case early on this season. I don't think they're going to come out and just be a top 10 offense in, in the first month of the season. This really might take a while for these guys to get a feel for each other. That's what it looks like on the floor right now. I, I really think they might just be a middling offense to start the year. And for me, kind of reactively during the game, I tweeted that I think Rubio should start. To walk that back a little bit, I, I don't know about that. I, I get the need to kind of rotate him through off the bench, so he plays with both the starters and the bench. That does make sense to me, but I'm not going to lie. When I see a team like this that so much lacks offensive synergy, it's hard to not think that a low usage player and a player of Rubio's skill set could help with adding that synergy. Now, to be fair, we got to admit that Rubio has really struggled in these two games tonight he was definitely trying to do too much once the you know once he got into the game the team was just flat and and he thought they needed a spark and in that effort he basically just turned it over a bunch So I, I mean I, I don't know what the answer is with Rubio maybe he doesn't need to start but I really do think they got to find a way to use Rubio. In a position that kind of breaks up some of that baton passing between Cat and D'Lo and Beasley and Edwards, I'm just I'm just at the point of thinking that Saunders, you know, has to be intentional about staggering specifically the Beasley and D'Lo minutes. It's just with Cat out there, it's going to be tough to get them both going in the first quarter or at the beginning of the third quarter when the offense is just going to be so focused on Cat as it should be as the primary option. I think I think the rotation once the season gets going we're going to see is is going to be intentional about getting Rubio out there with Beasley. We've seen in the first two games Delo's been the first sub out. Rubio comes in, Beasley stays in for the rest of the quarter. It's an opportunity for Saunders to run actions for Beasley to kind of get him going more. Because when he's out there with Delo, it's just it's it's too much of the same. Additionally, an added bonus of playing Beasley more with Rubio than than with Delo is just staggering Delo and Beasley's minutes defensively because my god it's the defense has been it's been pretty brutal in in these first few games uh, from Delo and Beasley so a little cold water there um but to bring back the positive there was some good on the defensive end not just from Hollis Jefferson and observation four for tonight was just more impressive defensive intention from Culver. Plus, he also showed some offensive juice. I think we we, we talked about it after the first game, and it deserves mentioning again because it showed up again. Culver has looked great defensively, particularly as an on-ball defender controlling the point of attack. I know Ja went off in these two games – but when Culver was the guy on him, he made it infinitely harder on Jaw than guys like Beasley and Delo did when they were on him. Sometimes that still leads to Morant scoring. Morant scored on Culver for sure. But if you look at the quality of the looks when Culver was on him versus the other guys, they were just much more difficult shots. And that's that's the win. That's a win. Culver just looks like the one guy on this roster who who worked on his defense over the summer all these guys in training camp that they've been saying how defense was their main focus of, on the off season. And, and really it just, it feels like lip service because Culver is the only one out there where you can actually see it showing up on the floor. And I think it's because Culver understands that element that, that good defense is just slowing down good scores. The expectation is not to stop them completely. I mean, if you compare that to Beasley, Beasley plays like the main goal of defense is getting a steal. And in the NBA, that, that just, that isn't it. Like, Sure, you can get a couple of steals, and that's nice. But if your main defensive focus isn't just containing scores, you're not a good defender. And 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 Culver's doing that. Additionally, he he did show some zest on offense too. He had that nice little behind the back cross into a pull up from mid range in, in his first stint out there. And I think I you know I've said this before, but it, it worked I think it's worth pointing out again. Back to Texas Tech, and in bits and pieces last season. I think there's added value in giving Culver room to work from the mid-range. That doesn't always mean shooting, but the freedom to be able to shoot there and just kind of work from that area, I think really opens up his game more. And, and it uh, should be an area, I don't know, I just should, it should be an area where I think he can provide some positive value from. Additionally, in the second half, he had, he had one play that really stuck, stood out to me, and it was his drive from the right wing where he really just drove to the basket with the intention of getting fouled. And he did. He, he, he drawed the foul. It, it was a hard drive. It led to two free throws, and he knocked down those free throws. That That's huge for him. As a rookie, Culver only made half of his shots at the rim, and that's just really bad. And I think a part of that low percentage was about him being afraid of getting fouled and getting to the free throw line because he wasn't making his free throws. I that That play if you can go back and watch it, maybe I'll try and maybe tweet this out tomorrow morning, was it was just really a sign to me of, of Culver kind of busting through that mental block that we saw so much during his rookie season. All right, my final observation um, from Monday night is that the, the five guys who have looked most comfortable out there are, are the five guys who have been on the team since the beginning of last season. Jake Lehman, we saw him look really comfortable in the system in game one. Culver clearly knows what he's supposed to do out there. Cat hasn't been super effective, but he knows his role and he looks comfortable in the in those spots on both ends of the floor. I wouldn't say Okoge's really done anything in the preseason, but I also wouldn't say he looks like he's feeling out the system. He seems to know what his role is. And then Jalen Noel, he's also been on the team since the beginning of last season, and he came out looking comfortable for sure in the first game. Those are the five guys who were on the roster at the beginning of last season. The trade deadline acquisitions, D'Lo, Beasley, and Wancho, they don't at all look like they're driving with the system thus far this season. Edwards definitely doesn't. He's just out there kind of playing, I, not really within the construct of anything on either side of the floor. And then Rubio, he doesn't look smooth either. All five of those guys have been just a pretty uncomfortable watch, and I put Ed Davis in there too. I asked Saunders uh, post game if this was a fair observation. Ryan, is it fair to say that you've you've seen the most comfort out of the the five guys who were on the roster at the beginning of last year, kind of in just knowing what their spots are? Jarrett, Jake, Josh, Cat, and Jalen. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think there there is some comfortability with those guys. You know, you know, they're all catching a rhythm too. But um, that definitely should be should be is noticeable. I feel. Uh, but you know these other guys, we have smart basketball players and, and they'll pick this stuff up and um, we'll just really have to wrap it up.
2: Whatever that comfort is from those five guys, it, it reminds me of the Iowa guys last year. Remember that? And how they just sort of came in and seamlessly were able to transition from the G League into the Timberwolves system. And I think that's because those guys like McLaughlin and Martin and Nas Reed, they've been running the system for the whole year in Iowa. It was the exact same thing. And I guess... You know, along those lines, the Glass half-full outlook on this topic is that whatever that comfort is, it should come with time for these other guys. But as I was getting to, with not really believing in the offense the first month, I'm concerned that at the beginning of the year, this might be pretty bumpy. I I really, once we start talking about these real games, I think it's going to be very contingent on Cat carrying them while these those other guys get comfortable. And you know, with Cat, who really knows how that's going to go? It's going to be tricky. That's all I got for tonight. Um, like I said before, Jack Borman from Canis hoopas will, uh, will be joining me on Tuesday. We're going to record Tuesday evening, and we'll be discussing our estimations of where this team falls in, in terms of rank on the offensive and defensive end, ends of the floor. Because I, I think from there, once we're able to kind of pin that down, where we estimate them stacking up offensively, you know, and stacking up how You know can they get a little bit of room From the bottom of the league defensively If you have a good idea of that I think that Helps better sort of Shape the estimation of Of this team's net impact and that You know just from there Kind of their odds of making the playoffs So look for that episode late Tuesday night or Wednesday morning and, And we'll go from there The next and final preseason game Will be on Dallas on Thursday night I'll have a pod After that after that game is two is done too but um until tomorrow that's all i got i'm dane peace
1: out hope you like nobody else around